Dala Morhul is everybody. Some of you might recognize this phrase from Game of Thrones. It is a language called Valyrian, High Valyrian to be specific. And it's a so-called conlang, a constructed language, just like Klingon from Star Trek or Elvish from Lord of the Rings. In this episode, we will be talking to two of the biggest conlangers in the world that have worked in this field for a long time. We will talk about the inspiration for the languages they invent, the struggles they might face, and their experiences with big franchises such as Game of Thrones. So please keep on listening to learn more. First of all, Happy New Year, everybody. We at Much Language Such Talk hope you had a great start to the new year and we are very excited to be back. It's me yet again, Eva Maria. Thank you so much for tuning in, especially for today's episode. I'm beyond excited because I don't know about you, but I was obsessed with Game of Thrones. And although I have not learned Dothraki, I did enjoy the language aspect of the show. Granted, I might be a bit biased, but uh, we are delighted to welcome two of the world's most renowned conlangers, Jesse Sams and David J. Peterson, to today's episode. Jesse Sams is a professor of linguistics at Stephen F. Austin State University at the Department of Languages, Cultures, and Communication. She generally teaches linguistic courses such as English grammar and the history of English, but she also established a course on language invention at the university where students get to create their own languages throughout the semester. And as someone who studied linguistics, I wish I had had the opportunity to do such a course because how cool is that? Her research primarily focuses on syntax and semantics, constructed languages and English etymology. And funnily enough, she actually started studying physics until she was introduced to linguistics and she's never looked back since. Our other guest is David J. Peterson. David is one of the most famous conlangers in the world today. With a background in English and linguistics, he has created the languages in Game of Thrones, such as Dothraki and High Valyrian, as I've mentioned before, but also on sci-fi's Defiance, the CW's The 100, Netflix's Shadow and Bone, Marvel's Doctor Strange and Thor, and the latest adaption of Dune that came out just a few months ago. He also co-founded the Language Creation Society and served as the president from 2011 until 2014. David is also a published author of the books Living Language Dothraki, the best-selling guide to the Dothraki language of Game of Thrones. And in the fall of 2015, David published his non-fiction work, The Art of Language Invention, which I highly recommend to anyone who's interested in this. Not only is it informative, but it's highly entertaining. And in 2020, he published Create Your Own Secret Language, a guide to invent your own code, ciphers, and hidden messages. David and Jesse work together on several projects now, for example, Motherland, Fort Salem, and Netflix's The Witcher. The both of them also started a YouTube channel, Langtime Studio, where they stream and take you through the steps of creating a new language. And before we start, this episode contains spoilers for Game of Thrones. We will talk about the last season, so if you haven't watched it, or if you're emotionally triggered by it like I am, be careful towards the end of the episode. So to quote David, as the Dothraki would say, Dothralates, let's ride. Hello, Jesse and David. Happy New Year, first of all, and thank you so much uh, for being here. Hello. Hey, and Happy New Year to you, too. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate that you took the time to join us. And I already told you that I am beyond excited to, uh, to talk to you, to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much. But um, let's not lose any of your precious time. Let's dive right in, shall we? Sounds good. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Perfect. So the first question we usually ask is, how did your interest in languages start? And how did that then transition into constructing languages? Like, were you fans of like Lord of the Rings or were you, you know, fascinated by Tolkien's work or did you like Star Trek and Klingon? Jesse, do you want to maybe start? 
Uh, sure. I actually, I really became more interested in languages uh, at the college level. Um, I took German in high school. And then when I went to college, I ended up taking Latin and then I got back into German um, and studied a year in Germany. So <laughs> yeah, <Yay. laughs> good place. Where did you study exactly? Universität Trier. Oh, oh, wow. That's a beautiful area too. Yes. Yes, it is. I loved it. And so it was really through studying those languages that I ended up needing to take an intro to linguistics class. And that was where I became interested in linguistics, ended up never quitting it. Um, so all the way through PhD, everything, because <laughs> I loved it so much. Um, and I honestly, the first real constructed language I had done was while I was working on my dissertation. And I say real because when I was a kid, I thought I created a language, but really all I did was create a code for English. But, you know, like I was 10. And so well, I mean, for a 10 year old, that's not bad. That's something. Um, and so when I was in grad school, though, I, I needed sort of a, a respite from writing my dissertation. And so um, I needed a creative outlet. And so I created a language and it was so much fun that I never stopped that either. Nice. Great. David, well, how was it for you? I mean, roughly similar, actually, um, except that I, I didn't uh, create any languages at all or anything when I was younger. I really had no interest in language um, whatsoever uh, until I was 17, when I suddenly wanted to learn every language on the planet. Oh, wow. How did that go? That was it. I mean, I'm still going. I'm, I'm still working at it. And I, I very much enjoy learning. It's so much easier and cheaper to learn a language at a university, though. I mean, not, you know, cheaper in the macro sense, but you're already there, right? It doesn't cost you extra to learn a language. Whereas once you're outside, uh, it, it costs you money and then costs you time, which you don't have anyway. Um, really just, it's a wonderful thing, learning languages at the university level. There's just nothing better. I was, I wish I could do that. That was a lot of fun. But, um, but yeah, before that, no, I think, uh, I think even the only minor interest I would have displayed in language before 17 years old was in sixth grade. We did a unit on um, Egypt. And oh. so we looked at hieroglyphs in a very non-professional way. Uh, I, I would later study Middle Egyptian uh, hieroglyphs at the university level. And so I was fully able to appreciate uh, what a poor introduction I had in sixth grade. Um, one easy way to tell is when they refer to it as hieroglyphics, which isn't a word. It's either hieroglyphs or hieroglyphic, the act right. of doing it. Um, so if somebody's calling it hieroglyphics, you know, then that's... No good. Yeah, you're in, you're in sorry shape. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never looked at that. That's, that's super interesting. Oh, it's, it's worth your while. Very fascinating um, spelling system. Um, among the very interesting spelling systems, right? There's there's English, <laughs> there's uh, you know Irish slash Gaelic, there's French, there's uh, Tibetan, and then there is Middle Egyptian. Um, and I really think it's one of the most interesting spelling systems I've ever come across. Very very fun. And I mean like the actual way that things are spelled. There's just so much redundancy built in. It's like, and here's another letter in case you forgot how this is pronounced, and then another one in case you forgot how that one is pronounced. Um, it's just amazing. And so if you were to read it straight off, it'd be like, you know, what, what is this? This is like, you know, Mar, R, E, E. It's like, why is it saying that? And it's like, no, nah, it's just Mari. Nice. <laughs> it's 
fun stuff. Anyway, what are we talking about? You were supposed to get to how you started creating languages based on, you know. I mean, that kind of uh, yeah. gives, oh. gives a good introduction of how you got interested in that. Yeah. But how did that transition into creating languages yourself? Well, I took a linguistics course to fulfill a breath requirement because my mother wanted me to. <laughs> well, there you go. It didn't sound very interesting to me because I was interested in learning languages. And it sounded like in linguistics, you did anything but, um, and which is true. But um, and nevertheless, I found it quite fascinating and very easy. I really like, especially that first class. And I think it's designed that way. It, basically, if you find the introductory linguistics class hard, you are not meant for linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be just, uh, just gumdrop lane. And so I, I just ate that right up. I decided to start creating a language uh, just for fun. I heard of it from Esperanto. That was the first place I'd heard of creating a language. But I thought if I created a language for fun instead of international communication, I might enjoy it. And I did. And yeah, so that was, uh, that was 22 years ago now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're still doing it and you're still having yeah. fun doing it. So, uh, oh, yeah, it was a good choice, I guess. Nice. But yeah, the amount of times, and I mean, you've probably heard that a couple of times, like, oh, you study linguistics, how many languages do you speak? And it's like, no, that's actually not what we're doing, which mm -hmm. is a shame. Yeah. But yeah. Should be both. Um, and I will say, because in your question, you had asked if um, either of us had gotten into it because of Tolkien or any of the, the larger known conlangs now in like pop culture, I think. But no, because yeah, I think my first uh, introduction to a conlang was also Esperanto. Um, and that was in like a middle school exercise that we did for school where it was like, here's Esperanto and you have to figure out how to translate a passage or something. Yeah, That was my introduction to conlangs. And I honestly didn't even know about Tolkien and his languages until a lot later in life than you may expect. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. I also had no interest in uh, really in, in fantasy at all. I thought it was silly. And so I was aware of Tolkien, but I wouldn't have read it. I did try to read um the hobbit once i got three quarters of the way through it in fourth grade and then i i read nearly a full page of the first lord of the rings book twice <laughs> a full page yeah almost i mean that's more than me i like the lord of the rings trilogy better than the hobbit so i've actually read, read that whole thing. thing i read the whole thing but i've never made it through the hobbit successfully oh the hobbits Fine. Yeah, I can relate to the big, I would never call myself a fantasy fan. But then now when you ask me, like, what shows do you watch or what movies do you watch? It's mostly science fiction. I was like, well, maybe, maybe I should update my, <laughs> you know, what I, what I well, talk about. Now that they're, now that they're really on point with those, with that CGI, I mean, you can actually do the stuff, you know, yeah. um, they're doing all right. And so I'm, I'm fine with anything, even that. Even that Wheel of Time, which uh, has to be the least interesting book series I've ever heard of. I mean, it's fine. You know, on the, on the screen, they're doing it. Their things are happening. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, it must be must be part of that for sure. Cool. So, um, speaking of like creating the languages, how where do you even start? Because I remember that for Dothraki, I think you you got the the only suggestion you got was that it was meant to sound harsh and that's a very subjective thing to demand in the first place mm -hmm. um and i think like for the witcher and i also for game of thrones there were already words and phrases that existed in the books right if i'm not mistaken so mm -hmm. do you get input from the writers and the authors as to what the languages should sound like should look like 
or where do you even start if you don't have that kind of input? I don't think we've ever had um, any specific input beyond the general stuff like it should sound about like this. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that, that includes the stuff that we've worked on together and the stuff that I've worked on on my own. Um, and the, uh, the only explicit things that we get that I've ever gotten from authors is just what, whatever's in their books. Mm -hmm. I, I did talk to George R. R. Martin a little bit in the beginning, and that was nice. You know, it became clear it's not wasn't like he was going to be a collaborator or anything. He was okay. happy for me to go about it. Um, and run with it. Yeah, it, it's very nice if you can take all of the old material and incorporate it perfectly, which I was able to do with the languages for Game of Thrones. It's not always possible. So it didn't work out for, uh, for Shadow and Bone. It didn't work out for The Witcher. And then is there anything else that's booky we've done? Not that we can talk about yet. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Eventually, come back to that question, and we, we will have more answers. But for now, that's it. <laughs> that stuff needs to come out. Oh, well, there's a nice teaser for us. <laughs> we're going we're to talk about like inspiration and everything later on. But um, I can imagine, I guess for, for like shows, you don't really, you can't really anticipate that much of how big of a success it's going to be, especially for Game of Thrones. Like, who knew at the beginning where it was going to go? But I can imagine that there is lots of pressure behind it, right? You said that you talked to George R. Martin and then he said, okay, yeah, no, mm, just do whatever you got to do. Mm. Don't you feel a bit of like the responsibility of like, okay, now I have his works, it's, it's, it's his life's work and now I have to make something of it? Or, or do you just not think about that? Um, for myself, no, but that is because I'm generally very overconfident. <laughs> well, good for you. But yeah, otherwise the things, the stuff that we've worked on, it's been pretty lower key. Yeah. Lower key. And I think too, because we are not in charge of creating the world, we are not in charge of actually, you know, changing the storyline because what we do supports the believability of the world. And it's not even like every line from every episode is translated. So it's really just, you know, key moments where you even get the snippets that you do get. And so I think there's a lot less pressure than. Like, cause I am, I do not suffer from overconfidence, um, like my partner here. Uh, <laughs> but, but like, even I will say, like, I haven't felt the pressure from that angle, as long as we feel good about what we've created. And, you know, like when you send it and you get good feedback in terms of, you know, yeah, this is in line with what we wanted. Then at that point, it's, mm -hmm. it's all good. Like, it's not, I, I think I would feel very different if they were like, well, now we need you to write this scene. <laughs> in the language, but like yeah. write it and create it or something. I think that if there was any, as I'm thinking about potential projects here, if there's anything I'd feel pressure for, it would be something like um, Avatar The Last Airbender, because if you got a chance to do it right, then you really, you really want to do it right because it's such a good series. I'd like, other than that, I don't know. A lot of it just feels more like we, we want you here to support mm -hmm. um, you know, to help, to help flesh out the world and make it more real to the people watching it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it surely does. It 100% adds to like, you get a sense of the culture, you get a sense of the, the personalities that speak the language. It's, it's hard to imagine a world like The Witcher or Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, without these languages in it once you've been introduced to them, right? It's, it's an essential part, at least for me, it is. 
But then again, I'm a linguist, so maybe I'm a bit biased, I guess. Okay, coming from someone um, who maybe does not have a linguistic background, it can maybe seem like an impossible undertaking to construct a language from scratch. And for uh, films, for shows, is it less work or is it easier to construct the whole language rather than just the dialogue that might be used for the show? Or is that maybe like an unwritten rule um, amongst conlangers to actually like sit down and create more than just the phrases that are needed? You kind of have to, because to even translate, as soon as you hit the point where like you've got a full clause structure, anything coming close to a sentence like thing, you have to have a, a grammar in place to support it, which means like you need to know how things going to be inflected. Like, are they going to mark plural? Are they going to have, you know, past tense, present tense? What are they going to have on verbs? Are they going to agree? So it's like you have to have that whole system in place. Even if all they want is, you know, like the shortest, littlest phrase, like they went home. It's like you you have to have a whole system in place to support something like that. Um, and so and I, I think that is something we come up across quite a bit when we do talk to people who are, you know, wanting to work with us. Mm. One of the first things we will often hear is, well, we don't actually need much. So it's just going to be a line. And it's like, oh, like just the line requires um, you know, language support. And so it's like, we, we still have to create the whole language, whether you only want this one tiny little sentence or whether you want, um, like one project we work with had something ridiculous where it was like five pages of lines that had to be translated. And it's like, well, you know, they're going to use what they're going to use, but they mm -hmm. at least, they got their worth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in theory, um, we can all speak the languages that we speak without a book or anything written down. We just do it and it's correct, right? You could do that with a created language as well, uh, even doing it on the fly. It's just that you would have to be creating and memorizing at the same time. Um, and perhaps there is a theoretical person that can do that, but it's not me, certainly. <laughs> and so it's like if you're, if you're going to do it right, you have to write this stuff down and work it out. And that takes time. So the, it's like, theoretically, yeah, you could just do it and have it all hang together and be consistent. Or you could do it uh, on the fly and have it not be consistent. But that is really painfully obvious the more dialogue that there is. If it's just one line, it's fine, it's whatever. But like, you know, if it's two lines, there's that much more that can go wrong. If it's three, it's even more it kind of raises exponentially. Yeah. Um, and casual view viewers can pick up on it because it just doesn't sound right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's where maybe the, the pressure that I mentioned, not even from the showmakers, but from the people that watch the shows and the movies that go like, oh, they said it differently in the singular. Yeah, they do that. They do that. <laughs> I'm not one of them because I usually don't, I'm not quick enough to pick up on these things. Um, or maybe I don't pay enough attention. I don't know. But um, I know that online there, are, there definitely are people that talk about these things. It drives me nuts because I, I do tend to make a lot of very silly errors like that in translation. Um, drove me nuts because in um, Valyrian, for example, uh, the third person singular ending was the same, uh, you know, or roughly the same as an S is like the second person singular ending for Spanish. And so sometimes I would mix those two up. It was supposed to be uh, second person singular, but I put an S on there because I was, I was just thinking Spanish and I would flip those two up uh, and they always catch it. 
the the fans of Illyrian, they always catch it. They caught one recently, ugh, from season five, I think it was. Um, there are four different numbers. One of them is a collective number. And the collective takes singular agreement. And they spotted that I had done plural agreement. And it's just, ugh, destroys me. It's kind of like, it would be like an English saying, my family are very happy, as opposed to my family is very happy. It's like, it's a plural entity, but it's actually a singular word. Yeah. That's, that's, that's essentially what I did. And it's like, come on, man, leave me alone. <laughs> I can't get it all right. You, do, you, do you get messages about this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. And people say, like, how, how dare you? It's your language. <laughs> no, they're, they're like, uh, I didn't know if this was an error. Like, is this right? Maybe the actor misspoke. It's like, oh, you're so kind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And you still get messages. Well, then it's, it's a never-ending story, I guess. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. That's intense. But then again, fans can be quite intense. You should have seen us yeah. uh, watching Game of Thrones. So, yeah. Um, sehr gut. Sehr gut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesse, how is your German now, by the way? Very rusty. I can imagine. <laughs> I, I have a special relationship with German. I studied it for one year in high school after I had become very interested in language. And, um, It's the only language I've ever studied that I feel no shame about getting completely wrong. And so I've been to Germany a couple times. I love speaking German, but I don't really have much vocabulary <laughs> or speak it very well. But did the people appreciate the effort? Because I always do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ein bisschen. Is it bisschen or bisschen? Bisschen. Okay. Yeah. Well, you could also <laughs> say bisschen if that's bisschen. <laughs> but that's, I guess, not, yeah. Ooh. You want it? That's more colloquial. It ain't embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I always appreciate, um, especially people learning German, because if it wasn't my native language, I for sure would have not chosen that language to learn, because that is nope. It makes it a lot easier if you just say duh for der, die, and das. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in some dialects, they do. So you could just blend right in. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It was funny. So I was, I was once at a cafe and it was so embarrassing. I was trying to translate something in German. So I went up and said, Was ist, uh, was ist ein Mann, uh, der reit ein, uh, ein Pferd oder ein uh, Motorcycle? And, and, uh, was ist, you know, uh, es ist ein Wort für das? And she looks at me, I don't even know how you say you mean in German, but it's like, Reiter? And I'm like, oh, just like English. Yeah, writer. <laughs> I couldn't. I was like, how do you turn right into somebody that does that? She's like, Reiter? Like, oh, it's oh, yeah. too obvious. <laughs> I make that mistake all the time when I can't think of an English word. And I'm just like, you know, trying to find my way, way around it and describe it. And then it's the exact same in both languages. And I'm like, well, that's yep. just stupid. But yeah, it happens all the time. So I feel, I feel the pain. <laughs> okay, so um, I don't know what we were talking about. We were talking about German. Mm -hmm. And before that, we were talking about... Um, oh, fans of the show and the pressure and like how much of the language needs to be developed. And I will say there are projects where we don't need to do a full language. But those are projects where all they require are like place names yeah. or something oh, right. like that, where it's like these will not be used in, you know, sentences or they're not going to be like 
a full clause structure. It's like we literally just need, you know, legit sounding names that work together and create a cohesive um, feel for the world. So, yeah. right. Those are the ones that you don't need to create a whole language where you just need enough of a structure to be able to put together, you know, words that should be- belong together. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that makes sense to me. But when do you stop? Like, when do you think like, ah, now I have enough? Like, you don't stop. You don't, you, you never stop. It's a never ending process. Do you always go back to the language and like add to like the lexicon? Yeah. Like when is a language done? Like think about a, a, yeah, never. a natural language. Yeah, never. Just when, the, when all the speakers die. Same thing. So yeah, there's no end. That's what makes it fun. Yeah, that is such a cool thing. Do you also take, I'm just, I'm just spitballing. I cannot come up with like so many more questions. Do you then also take into account what maybe fans have fed back to you? Or is that just something where you go like, uh, well, excuse me? No. There's an example okay. uh, from Dothraki where Rain Wilson playing Dwight on The Office came oh, yeah. up with a, a word that shouldn't, like it wasn't a word in Dothraki and it was like a kind of compound that he created. And David was like, but that totally works in the language. So he created what he called Shrudian compounds, which is Dwight Shrude from The Office. Yeah, and so, fun. yeah, see? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that made it into the language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's a it's a cool structure. So it's like, yeah, yeah, you could you could probably build verbs that way. So, so you know, it was it was a kind of noun incorporation, but it like it made sense. So that is I love crossovers. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Other, other than that, for me, I think the biggest one was uh, was tree get assigned because ordinarily, like when I create a language, you know, I would say for most of our projects, they're you know, a posteriori, which means that the words and stuff are just created whole cloth. Um, or if they're, uh, I'm sorry, a priori, or if they're a posteriori, meaning that they're derived from other roots, they're, they're derived from like different languages. Like I did a language for Dominion that worked with uh, Proto-Afro-Asiatic and, uh, and a couple like that. Trigetus slang was one where it was uh, an evolution of modern American English. Um, and so it was something that the fans of the language could really kind of actually get a hold of and do. And so they created a ton of vocabulary and, um, and I've incorporated a lot of it because, you know, they had relatively the same intuition that I did. And so, and the same source material. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, otherwise though, if it's just like a priori and we're creating it, um, I like doing that myself. Well, I think it's also um, <laughs> by the time fans get a hold of the language, it's like we've already done the dialogue for the whole season. Mm. And so it's also kind of a weird feedback loop because it's like we're working on things that people may not see for another two, three, four, five years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's not much feedback, especially at the beginning of projects. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I get that. But it must also be quite... I don't, I don't know if you want to use the term satisfying to then see them go about their stuff and you just sit there like, huh, just you wait, <laughs> just, <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> that is that is really cool. So in my head, I imagine creating a language being very similar to composing music. And I don't know if that's a too abstract kind of 
way of thinking about it. Um, But for me, composing music is unimaginable because, I mean, I love music and I would consider myself to be rather musical, but I, for the life of me, could never come up with a melody that has not been played before. I would always fall back into patterns that I like or that I've heard before. So how do you know, uh, how do you go about this? I know that you've mentioned that you both studied several languages, including my beloved German, of course. But how do you avoid falling into the languages that you already know, whether it be real or constructed languages, especially regarding the vocabulary? Like, how do you avoid that? So I will say one great thing about language in general, though, is that there are only so many patterns. Uh, When you break it down and look at individual features, there are only so many patterns you're going to find in languages anyway. It's a matter of how you mix and combine them and utilize them. And so it's like, that takes a lot of the pressure off because it's like, well, we're using, you know, the, the same building blocks, but it's not going to be a recreation of a single language because we're just taking the blocks and putting them together differently. Right. And then as far as vocabulary goes, that's actually I think we both rather enjoy coming yeah. up with the, the vocab. I don't know. Like, it's just like, what sounds do we have? What kind of syllable structures are we dealing with? And let's start putting together potential words. I don't Yeah, especially with derivation, you just kind of follow where the language is leading you, you know. And so it's like, even if you started off with like, you know, something basic, like everybody's got some sort of word for rock. But if you start building and then you come up with derivations that you never have seen yourself, it's like, well, that's pretty much it. It doesn't really matter if it exists in some other language, if they've done the same derivation. That's just like, oh, wow, cool. We both did the same thing for the same reason. That's that's just a neat thing. But yeah, this there's... It's such a big sandbox that you're not going to run into the same, you know, exact elements of any specific language unless you're doing it on purpose. Yeah. And as, I think just as long as you're honestly going down the trail and, and not like purposely shutting out what the language is trying to tell you, you'll get somewhere good. You know? I think it's also too like... Um, I know with a lot of beginning conlangers, one thing they are very concerned with with this exact problem. And so like they get very kind of nervous about like creating a thing. So like, Oh, I know Spanish does that. It's like, yeah, so do like 80 other languages. It's a thing. At some point you will create a word that you will maybe not at first realize, but later go, Oh, that totally sounds like an English word or like that's totally also a Spanish word, but they mean completely different things. But that is also something that happens across, you know, natural languages again, all the time. Like you could, come across a really random language where maybe they have the same string of like tree and it, you know, they just happen to have tree in their language, but it means something totally different. It's not related. It's just, they had these sounds available to them and they did the same thing we did. We put them together in a word. And so it's like, that too is like just something to remember that, yeah, you're going to accidentally create a word that matches the same string of sounds from an existing language, but it's going to mean something different. And it's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, going to mean something different. different. It's going to behave differently because of how, you know, you build up the, the other parts of the language. So, so it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. You're not reinventing the wheel, basically. It's, it's, it's fine to, to have the similarities. Yeah. 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 That does, that does take the, the pressure off for sure. Yes. And you can't, for language, you can't really reinvent the wheel. Otherwise, it won't read as a language to the people, you know, watching or or listening to it. And that's like the whole purpose is to like make it feel grounded and to to go with the same patterns and to have the same kind of things that you can find in languages. 
Yeah, that's what I really enjoyed about uh, the arrival, like the the movie, because that was something that I had never even thought about. I really liked the that approach. But yeah, so now that you mentioned that you really enjoy coming up with the vocabulary. David, I watched an interview recently, I think it was a Wired interview, where you mentioned that verbs are your least favorite. <laughs> is that yeah. because they're the hardest or is it because you don't like the, the morphology? If that's not the most difficult part, what would be the most difficult part? Um, both of those things are true. Yes. I mean, I don't like any part of it. Um, but also, <laughs> uh, that's also the... the um, the biggest point of pressure for a language because the entire verbal system is really the biggest part of the grammar. Um, it's where it's how the entire language is going to run. And that is the only place where I feel pressure to do something that is unique and something that is both functional and natural. And it's extraordinarily difficult. Uh, I don't know. I think maybe maybe a lot of it is just internal pressure. I think it's, it's just it's just really intimidating to get it just right. I've had a lot of. I think I've, I've had the most luck with uh, systems that were simple because otherwise um, it just gets to be too much, and it's too much to keep in your head. I don't know. I I, I just hate it. I wish that we could do languages without verbs. That'd be nice. That's my that's my next question. <laughs> Could you, if you're, I mean, you're in charge, right? Could you not just, I don't think there is a language on earth that does not have verbs as far as I'm aware. Yeah. But mm -hmm. if, if you're in charge, can you not just create a language without verbs? You sure could. People have done it. Um, it's very difficult because that, that stuff has to show up somewhere, right? Somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and so you have to find a way to do it uh, without having a, a unique class of a verb, uh, but it's certainly possible. You end up with a lot of nouns that mean things like running, jumping. Yeah. Or languages that don't conjugate. <laughs> Just always in the... Yeah. I mean, that doesn't, that only buys you so much because that's, that's kind of like saying, well, then learning, learning uh, Chinese or Vietnamese must be simple. You know? oh, really? Then it's like, Yeah, then it's like there's all this other stuff that you need to learn. Like you, it does. It absolutely does buy you something not to have to learn any inflection, but you know, it just winds up somewhere else. Yeah. So if you're really going to do that without verbs, it's 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 work. Yeah. More work than I think just creating the verbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just then it's like you know you want to create something good, and that's where uh, I, I'm really proud of a lot of the nominal systems that I've personally done, verb systems, I always look at them and see something I did wrong. Is that the perfectionist in you? Or? Oh, I, yeah. I, I maybe, maybe, but I think it's also just verbs. I don't know. What's your, what's your favorite verbal system that you've done? It's like, I can uh, think of one for me. You, of your favorite? Yeah. Um, I don't know that I have a favorite verbal system. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think. So I don't know. Like, what makes it a favorite? Um, just that you thought that you, you carried it out very well. Well, the hard part about that is, like, you don't really know if you carried it out well until you do a lot of translation. And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. What was your favorite? Uh, Kamikawi. Mm. It was, it was very simple, but it actually worked and worked exactly the way I intended. 
um, and was not, I mean, there are the language has other problems, but it was not too unrealistic either. Oh, that must be so satisfying to see like it actually working. It is. Yeah. And I, and I have done a lot of translation with that actually. So yeah, that, that was nice. But yeah, lots of other things. It's just, I just look at it and like, I don't know about that. I don't know. I've done that. Oh man. For that, for the show that we have, are working on is based on that book series. That verbal system. Oh my God. And I, and we did that because we thought it would make you think our lives easier, didn't we? With the whole auxiliary. It didn't. <laughs> and now you're knee deep and can't go back. Right. Yeah. And it, it rounds back around to, well, it's easier to not actually conjugate on the verbs, right? So let's just do this auxiliary that's going to carry that weight. And it's going to be the same for like the majority of yeah. verbs, except for very irregular verbs. Yep. And so in that our heads, yeah. in our heads, we're like, this is going to be so much easier and make certain aspects of translation just go faster. Mm. Um, and it indeed did not at all, because it's yeah. it's still really difficult to make sure you have the right auxiliary. Then we realize that we don't yeah. need just one. We actually have to have an yep. auxiliary to cover all of these things. And I don't and think so, we're done either. I think we need more, don't we? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so, and so it's one yeah. of those things where, you know, again, you start out thinking, this feature is going to make it easier because in my English brain, if we didn't have to do this, that would be so much simpler for language. And then you do that and then you realize actually no matter what language is complex. Yeah. But yeah, the, I'm just, you know, thinking about the, the process. Where do you get those ideas? I mean, it can't just be like, oh, I really don't like verbs. Let's try to make it as easy as possible. Like there, <laughs> there must be other. That's one source. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, of course. But. Is it also that you maybe, um, I don't know, once came across a, a language spoken somewhere in rural Kenya <laughs> where you thought like, oh, wow, that's something that I've never seen before. It would be cool to integrate into a language someday. Does that happen too? Or Sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Getting inspired okay. by... You can get it from anywhere, really. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's... Sometimes on the outset of a project, one or both of us will go into the language saying like... I really want this feature to be a part of it and not because like the project inspired it, but just because it's like, there's this cool feature and we want to do it. Um, and so we can totally be inspired that way. But there's also quite often, it really just comes out of as we're putting things together, you make one major decision and that sort of helps narrow down what other decisions you're going to make, including like once you like decide, well, this is going to have this kind of word order. And so, okay, now we're probably going to have I don't know, nouns in this position. And so you just start sort of like making one decision leads to the next. And eventually you just may have an off the wall idea that gets put in. And so, yeah, I can see how, how these decisions would impact further decisions that, that would make sense. Yeah. And also sometimes it's just batting around ideas. You just land on something that, so it's, it's fun to have a partner because then it's, you know, like one person throws something out and it sounds so crazy that there's no way it's going to work. And the other person's like, but wait, what if we tweak it and do it this way? And then it totally does work. And so, you know, know, it's fun. Yeah. (laughs) It does sound fun. Yeah. Cool. So are there like when, when you're speaking about like creating these like rules for grammar, for example, are there restrictions in terms of difficulty or complexity that you'd rather not cross? Is there something where you say, for example, not having verbs, probably not the best idea because it will show up somewhere and it's going to even complicate things further. Like, are there things where you draw the line and say like, yeah, let's not try that? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. Like winking in Morse code or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be hard to document, I would think, um, without video. But no, I don't think there is a, a line that we have drawn. I know like right now um, through we do Lang Time Studio together, which is a live stream um, on YouTube. And right now we're working on a language where we are doing a lot on the verbs with, like noun incorporation and like building these really huge, <laughs> huge verbs that carry a lot of the weight of the, the clause structure. And for me, like right now, mentally mapping out, well, wait, if this element goes here, how does this, you know, do the rest? Um, I think that is one of the most complicated things we are currently working on in terms of. Yeah. And I, if we had drawn the line somewhere, I think that would have been where I would have drawn the line in terms of just being able to like mentally keep up with it because it's so different from any language I've studied. And so it's really getting me into features I'm not otherwise familiar with. It is fun, <laughs> but challenging. <laughs> yeah. I mean, challenging for sure. But for me, the entire prospect of coming up with my own languages is quite challenging to think about. Just one little bit at a time. So, um, Jesse, you teach as well at the university. Yes. And you have taught classes on conlangs, right? Yes. So in, aside from the intro to linguistics that is probably part of it, like introducing the students to phonology and morphology and grammar and everything. Um, what, what else is part of the course? Like, can you teach students the creativity that is needed? I mean, yes and no, um, <laughs> because you can teach them, you can teach people like here again, like laying out here are patterns. And if you choose this one, you're most likely going to choose these. So helping narrow down decision-making in a way where they can then make this one decision and it cascades into eight decisions can really give them more room for flexing their creative muscles in other ways as they work on the project. A lot of times though, people go into the class and that's the number one thing. Like you get like half the class is like creative writers and they've built this huge world and they totally know where they want the language to go. And then the other half of the class is like, well, I'm here because I, I'm a linguistic student and I don't have any creativity. You know, like you get those students who are like, I'm not creative at all. And then just by asking them simple questions, you you kind of like start to realize, no, actually, they're very creative and coming up with some really cool concepts. And sometimes, sometimes, okay, more than sometimes, I quite often get some of the best, most linguistically creative work out of the people who start the class thinking they're like not super creative. Um, because I think it's the, the kind of creativity that's needed in language creation is so different from what society has obviously labeled creative. And so like, I think there's like a personal roadblock for people when they use that word, like, oh, well, I don't create things. I don't do this. I only follow the recipe book or I only do this. Um, and so, so yes, I can help those people get past that barrier, but no, I can't otherwise like instill or teach creativity in the way that a student's going to end the class being more linguistically creative than when they started, if that makes sense. It made sense to me. Yeah. Like over, over the last years, because you've been doing this for quite a while, how has your creativity changed? Can you even pinpoint that? That's a really good question. Um, and I honestly, I, I think a big part of it is just the more you learn about language in general, the more, you know, fodder you have, <laughs> the, 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 the bigger the, the area. 
but also some of my, what I think would get labeled as creative ideas just come out of nowhere. I don't know. It's just like, you know, it's just like, boom, let's try this. And it's like, why did you think of that? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And it's not even based on like an existing language. And so, yeah, I think I've grown in my creativity in the conlanging art by teaching and by participating in it so much. But I couldn't, I couldn't for the life of me pinpoint. And I also, a lot of times I'll look at a language and I'll be proud of like this aspect. And he'll look at the language and be like, oh my gosh, this thing right here is so creative. And I had no idea it was creative. Like I was so proud of this other thing that I wasn't even realizing I was doing something cool. (laughs) How about, how about you, David? Can you say how that kind of developed over the last, what, 22 years? (laughs) Oh, I've gotten a lot better at stuff, I think. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. With experience. But I don't know. the, The creative drive is roughly the same. So I was like, you know, I have an idea for something and then I try to, to, to carry it out. Just I'm better at doing it in a much more interesting way now. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to pinpoint creativity in the first place, but. Mm-hmm. It's still the same feel, you know, I get, I get an idea for something and then that leads to something else. Yeah. And do you get just as excited? Oh, Yeah. And sometimes it leads to, to really, you know, exciting results. And, and sometimes it leads to a string of auxiliaries that you don't know what to do with. <laughs> but it's like, um, like with this one that we're doing with Langtime Studio right now, like now that we're finally really getting into the verbs and it's, it's, it's coming together. I'm super excited about it. It's really shaping up now and it's shaping up the way that I hoped. And so I'm super excited about it. Yeah. Hmm. You feeling good about it? Oh, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, it's, and also like some of, I don't know, some of like the coolest things we've come up with have also been like challenges between, you know, like, oh, you couldn't make this work or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, want to see? And so then you like mm-hmm. find connections and make these connections that you maybe otherwise wouldn't have tried, except for the fact that someone challenged you. Mm-hmm. And that happened in the last Lang Time language when we were creating Uh, the demonstrative system and it needed to we were trying for a four-way distinction and Mm -hmm. i believe i was challenged that i could not make four different roots that were totally unrelated be the the sources of these demonstratives and it happened (laughs) i will i will tell you that it's that moment was one of the greatest demonstrations of conlang creativity and skill that i have ever seen oh and it was excuse me while i blush and it and and it's just like and it happened live i set the whole thing up because like you know i really i didn't want to do it and i didn't think it could be done and i thought it was a bad idea and then she just did it. that's not a good prerequisite yeah and it wasn't it wasn't like she just did it she did it so well and so beautifully that it was just immediately 10 times better than any idea i had um it was an absolutely magical moment you should see jesse's face right now (laughs) and it's on film and it's on film yeah oh that was really something i think that i think that may have been the best thing that's ever happened on our (laughs) live stream um very nice yeah that was something Hmm. are you as proud as he (laughs) as he makes it out to be Oh, uh, it, it was definitely a, a good moment. Um, if for no other reason, then it's fun to prove him wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to ask, are you competitive? 
<laughs> you know, in, in the best ways possible. <laughs> Very good. So um, for the for the shows in particular, for the actors speaking the languages on screen, like, do you give them like an actual course? Like, do you actually sit them down and explain the, the language, the grammar and everything? Or do they just learn what's in the script? How much fun that would be. <laughs> Wouldn't it? No, we just no, we just record all the lines. Okay, and then they they basically memorize them. But I'm guessing that they do pick up on certain patterns, or I, mean, I guess maybe not always. But well, they do pick up on patterns. But sometimes those patterns aren't what they think they are. Mm, that would be me. <laughs> you can imagine if somebody had a bunch of dialogue in English, they might you know they might hear it and think that you know. Oh, I see. Like. An S at the end is plural or something, and then you hear the third person singular verb and... Or they might think that, like, you know, is the is a word, because they hear the sequence is the a lot. So they might, you know, go around saying is the, is the, is the, <laughs> not knowing that it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, because I know that's, that, that stuff has happened a little bit. It was, it was so funny. There was, um, like, I didn't even get what they were doing at first, but for Defiance, there was a loop group. And um, they uh, and what they do is they record what's called background walla. Walla is W A L A, and I don't know what it means or where it comes from. But what it means is uh, where there's a big crowd scene, they talk to each other so that you can hear it in the background. And so that's what background walla is. And they had you know come to do a lot of background walla in the languages that I had created, and evidently they picked up on something from one of them. And so they, they called the background wallet done in my languages, Wazala. And then they made shirts that said Wazala for themselves. And I'm looking, it's like, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't get what this is, what you think it is. But evidently, they thought they heard like, you know, Z's in the middle of things a lot. And so they just thought, oh, get it? It's Wazala. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay. Good for you. That is so cool. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> cool. So they, they created something that wasn't there, but. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. But they, they thought of it as like an, like an homage. And they yeah. were so proud to show it to me like I would get it. And, I'm like, <laughs> and you didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So, but you don't, you don't sit them down and tell them like, so in this language, we have. Okay. Nah. Oh, that would be cool, though. I mean, if they want to, like, we'd be happy to teach them. But not much interest. At first, maybe. <laughs> I think it would also be difficult. It'd yeah. be difficult, too, because, um, you know, even though, yeah, the language is created, there's a whole system in place. Really, the vocabulary that's there is driven by what needs to be translated. And so it would be really difficult because essentially to teach them the language, you would just be teaching them their lines in yeah. every, you know, like every formation possible because otherwise you have to keep creating more words to be able to, to actually have any sort of conversation or anything. And usually the lines that are translated can have off the wall vocab that you wouldn't otherwise use in your daily life. Yeah. And also like if you were really to teach in that language, you'd probably start off pretty simple. Hello, my name is and so on. That's true. Where's the bathroom? And then like none of that would show up on the show. Like they'd be because they'd all be advanced speakers just saying what they're going to say, you know, not where's the library. Yeah. 
And yeah, <laughs> I'm just imagining imagining in the in the Witcher and like elder speech. Like, hello. <laughs> Where's the train station? I see a book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The book is red. <laughs> One of the first sentences I learned in French was Arthur is a parrot. Oh. That's not going to get me anywhere. <laughs> no. Arthur est un perroquet. That's not even a French word, a French name. Why Arthur? Arthur. Arthur. Arthur est un perroquet. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that has helped me a lot. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I, I can see how, um, how it would be difficult to actually like start a language class with, with just the phrases that are needed without overcomplicating things and confusing them more than they yeah. might already be by hearing sounds that they're not familiar with. Yeah. I think the only benefit, if we could actually teach them aspects of the language, would come through in delivery of the line as a whole to yeah. understand that, oh, you know, this is a content word, so you're going to stress it more than these function words around it kind of situation, mm -hmm. um, which if they look at the full files they're given, we do map it out for them so they can kind of see what each element means so they can do just that. Yep. But I think that's really the only thing would be a more natural delivery if you had, you know, the opportunity to kind of explain some of the linguistic structures, you know, not teaching them language, but really just explaining like this is this is where you're hitting this. This is a suffix. It's not going to get the stress. This is, you know, like things like that. Yeah, that's that's cool. So it's not just the actors on screen, obviously. It's a lot of people. We'd already talked about how intense fans can be. But how, how does that feel to see fans running with it? And now people are learning Dothraki and are using Dothraki online and maybe even in real life. But how does, how does that feel? You must be quite proud, no? I mean, I guess. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It's just, you know. <laughs> Wow. It's I mean it's it's really cool that they're enjoying it, but they don't give me nearly enough praise. So <laughs> <laughs> Okay, everybody listening to this, David needs more praise. <laughs> because your confidence isn't boosted enough. <laughs> not nearly. Enough. You're not overconfident enough. I mean no, but it's like it's you know, it's a really cool thing that if people can use a language like and enjoy it, you know. Um And if it's a, a language that we created, that's that's really cool. I don't know. It doesn't compensate us financially. <laughs> I think really cool is. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not gonna ask. I'm not gonna go into that. <laughs> but I think it's really cool. It is the. It's only the third of January, but it's the understatement of the year. It's amazing. I I think. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be bursting with pride if I were you. <laughs> I don't know. But maybe that's just me. I don't know. As overconfident as he is, he also judges his work unnecessarily, roughly. Overcritical as well. Unnecessarily, yeah. you think? Yeah. Mm. But if I don't do it, who will? <laughs> oh, online, people will. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> they, if you give them the chance, mm -hmm. they will have something to say about everything. So. Yeah, but it's really not well informed, though. So who cares? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good approach. That's a very healthy approach. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but still, I find it like I had on my the phone before this. I had a phone case that said Valar Morghulis. I'm not joking. Really? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't get any money for that. <laughs> no, well, sorry. Did it? 
Did it have a did it did it have a Macron over the U? That's how you know if it was mine or not. I don't remember. I have a photo somewhere mm. I could probably check, but all right. All I right. actually I can I can look it up right now because I know that I posted it on Instagram. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I uh basically I, I kind of had to do long vowels in order to get the stress in the right place for that language. Um because otherwise it should have been, you know, Valar Morholis. And that and that's not the way anybody said it. And so I wanted to get it the way people said it. So that was what necessitated having long vowels in the language. It was the only way to get weight on that penultimate syllable. Oh wow. That's interesting. It's interesting that you had to change it to to adapt it. And in the meantime, I found the photo and it doesn't have the Macron on it. Yeah. See, so I mean, cause so without the Macron. That's just what George R. R. Martin created. I didn't create that. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my. Ha- <laughs> I just look at my. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking at the hashtags. Um, well, Game of Thrones, Vala Margulis, yeah. Vlado Harris, and then hashtag don't kill Jon Snow. <laughs> okay. That was in 2015. So uh. <laughs> anyway. By the way, I think Jon Snow had the absolute perfect ending. Uh, on the show, in my opinion, are you? Can you talk about the last season? I don't know why not. Did you sign an NDA or anything? I don't know. I certainly did before it aired. <laughs> well, yeah, but then it's aired already. So now you can you can voice your opinions. Yeah, and I was really really happy with what happened to Jon Snow. I thought it was perfect. Like he saves everybody, and his reward back to the wall. <laughs> I thought that. <laughs> Great. I thought that was outstanding. Spoilers. He saves everybody. He actually is, you know, the uh the whatever. And and his and his payment, his reward for this is essentially life and Yeah. You know. And I thought that was just perfect. I think you need to have a spoiler alert. (laughs) I can I can I can edit that in. That's fine. I wasn't gonna ask about the last season, Hmm. but did you like the overall ending? I did, yeah. Yeah. It was I thought it was the perfect uh I thought it was the perfect wrap up to the overall theme of the entire series, which is that prophecies are bullshit and so is primogenitor. Yeah, I I didn't mind the whole Daenerys being like going all mad queen. Like I actually kind of saw that coming. Mm. But Bran on the throne. That was perfect because he's not going to do anything. He's just a figurehead. It's the step towards essentially representative government, which was the entire point of the series that King did. And I loved it. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm happy you're happy. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't get a lot of the whole people being like, oh, it, it, to me, it felt like, you know, a, bit, a little bit like Kathy guys. It's like what they wanted was kiss, kiss, kiss. And you're king and queen, and everybody's happy now. Happy ending. They're happy because they found the best absolute monarch. It's like, no, no, that wasn't the entire point of the series. The whole point of the series was that absolute rule is ridiculous. Yeah, no, from that perspective, I do understand why they chose to do it. But I cannot. It really (laughs) ruined my day. Yeah, it ruined a lot of people's days. I didn't it get did it really myself, did. but yeah. But no, I that was why I think you know that was why because you know I've read the books right, 
And so I think that's why Vary's character was so important. Oh, one of my favorites. And that's why he keeps saying he's doing everything for the realm. He's doing everything for the small folk, because that's the whole point. When you just uh, have all of these, you know, essentially rich people with not just wealth, but, you know, government handed down from one to the other, uh, ultimately people suffer. Um, and so that was the system that had to be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, that I'm, I'm completely on board with. <laughs> but we watched it in the middle of the night. Yeah. And or actually, I think early morning, it doesn't even matter. But we watched it very early in the day and I showed up to work. And I ran into a friend who had not seen it. And she just saw my face and knew. Like, I, I just, from my face, she could just tell, like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, no, don't ask. It's, yeah. But, yeah, overall, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's just one of the most brilliant things on TV for a long time to come. And you were part of that. So congratulations. And I, I give you the praise that you deserve. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. <laughs> so, so since we're talking about, you know, pop culture and mm. fandoms and everything, yeah. just can you tell us a bit about the experiences in working with these kinds of big franchises, such as The Witcher, but also the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I'm also a big fan of. And of course, Game of Thrones, like, what was, what was that like? Like, can you let us peek behind the curtain a little bit of the glamorous Hollywood life? <laughs> Um, I got very, I got honestly very little with, with Game of Thrones. Like the only time I, I went on set was because I rerouted a flight to drop by and visit there. And then I didn't get to take any pictures because that was during the last season. And since somebody leaked an episode early the previous year, they just completely, completely locked down the set. So they had, um, they have a photo booth in the office that said, uh, Game of Thrones season eight. So like you could go in the photo booth. I did that. So that's nice. Took a picture with a, a couple of the assistants. That was fun. But um, that was it. it. Was my that was my onset photo. Like before that, they would be like, you know, oh yeah, they they would just have people go up and sit on the Iron Throne and take pictures and everything. And that all ended season eight because somebody leaked an episode uh, the previous season, and so they ruined my experience. That was the result. And also, also, like, who cares if you see an episode early? You're going to see it anyway. Oh, I love spoilers. Like, it, it, it's so silly. I think the, that was also, you had mentioned, because they had really shut down on season eight, like, you would get just random lines, like, with no context, because they didn't want to give, you know, full yeah. scripts. <gasps> Character so, names change. So, right. And like who even was speaking the line would change, which could influence the words you choose to translate it, especially with yeah. no context. So yep. it's like you're trying to base it on the character at that point. Yeah. Um, and so there are some I like I wonder if you go back to season eight in terms of like, well, I would have translated this differently had I known that this was actually what was going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, oh, that is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was a bummer. But like uh, the cool thing was I did get to go to almost uh, almost every premiere event for Game of Thrones. So that was nice. Um, and those are, are very fancy. They were very <laughs> fancy parties. And so that was neat. Uh, got to go to one for The Witcher. Got to do a lot of stuff for Defiance. So that was mm, nice. And then, nice. you know, since COVID, I haven't gotten to do anything. So Jesse's gotten to do nothing. 
And I mean, with the way that Omicron is going, they're probably not going to do any stuff this year either. Just lame. It is um, very lame. Yeah. So there's been less of that late. Man, the uh, the final, we used to get together for the 100 at a, at, a, at a small bar in LA too. So it wasn't, it was a Hollywood party, definitely, but it wasn't big and fancy. But um, we used to get together for the first episode and the last episode of the season. And then that was gone for the last season, which was a shame because it was the last season. You know, none of us knew that the last time was the last time. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's nice. I don't know. Uh, what, what kind of Hollywood stuff do you want? <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to know about like the experience of like, I don't know, talking to the writers, talking to the actor. I don't know if you have ever really talked to the actors or if you just record yeah. it and send it to them. Yeah. I've, I've, I mean, it's, it's sporadic, right? Have we ever done anything with the actors over Zoom? Not as on any of our projects, no. no. Yeah, that might, I mean, that might be different, you know, if, if there were no COVID. So we'll see in, in, the, in the years to come. But yeah, I've, I've met and worked with a lot of the actors. I only really had one negative experience and it was with an actor that nobody knows. So it didn't matter. And I mean, that's bound to happen. Like, it has to happen somewhere, right? So yeah. I think uh, uh, working on Bright was the most fun because it was it filmed here in L.A. And so I was on on set almost every single day. Wow. Food was wonderful. Just oh, <laughs> just the, the catering was great. I, I'll never forget the day I showed up and they were making lobster tails. Oh, that sounds fancy. I, I was on the upper end of my weight at that time, though. So I was trying to, you know, not not do as much because otherwise, <sighs> I mean. You could have, you could because like, you know, they always have cheese and stuff. You could have made a little sandwich with lobster tails, like one on top of the other and put like cheese or lettuce inside. That would have been. Lobster tail sandwich. Oh, wonderful. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was the one where like I met a lot of the actors and I, I worked with them. Um, I, I met and talked to Will Smith and he was very nice. So that was that was probably the most fun. Nice. Um, it's a movie probably I think a lot of people didn't see as bright on Netflix, but, um, you know, that was a lot of fun working on that. Cool. Great. Cool. So our last question, because we've been talking for a while, our last question is usually uh, what are future projects, the ones that you can talk about <laughs> that you're very excited about or what, what do you have lined up? House of the Dragon is a prequel uh, for Game of Thrones, and that should be coming out this year. Um, Working on that should also be done, but you never know. I'm always surprised sometimes. We have the third season of Motherland Fort Salem, which we are working on right now. It's the third and final season, at least at present, unless it's picked up by something else. Yeah, two of our podcast members are massive fans of Fort Salem. So Really? Yeah. And I had never heard it before until they started talking about it. <laughs> and I was like, what, what is this? So yeah, they, they love it. Oh. <laughs> Shout out to Corrine and Brittany. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, that's wonderful because that's our first project and we love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, uh, the next season of Shadow and Bone, uh, we're working on that right now. And then is everything else NDA? I think so, yeah. Okay, so we're working on another television show, and then another television show, and then a movie, and then another television show. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds exciting. Uh, we, yeah, we definitely have some things that we're yeah. very, very excited about and can't wait for them to be released so we can actually talk about them. And share it with the world. A couple of them should be pretty big. Yeah. 
I'm excited. Lots of things to come then. Yep. Yes. We'll be hearing from you. <laughs> sure hope so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope so too. I really do. Cool. Well, that's fantastic. There's lots more, lots more to come. This has been one of my favorite episodes so far. So of course, because I'm a big fangirl myself, but it's also been very educational, fascinating, very inspiring. And who knows, maybe we now get some more people thinking about their first con lang. So uh, that would be quite cool. This, yeah, this really has been wonderful. And on behalf of the entire podcast team, thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time. I really appreciate that. And all the best for 2022. Thank you. May we continue to see your creations on the screen for a long time to come. It sounds like it, but all the best for that. And I can't wait to see what's next for all the NDAs you've been (laughs) (laughs) dropping. Uh, So yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for having us. This has been great. Great. Thank you. As always, you can find the links to the website, sources, and all the con lengths that we mentioned in the episode description and on our website, in case you want to watch Jesse and David's YouTube streams, for example. And don't forget that we have transcripts for the episodes on our website as well. To our listeners, we thank you for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe on our website to never miss an episode again. Until next time, as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and Geras Ilas. Sureno. Zia Shostash. Nice.